Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. My name is Scott Challoner and you join us on another sunny day here in the capital as once again we bring together a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. A little later on in today's show, we'll be joined by... England's 1966 FIFA World Cup hero Sir Jeff Hurst who helped the England team lift the Jules Rimet trophy 54 long years ago today but first and foremost I'm delighted to have David Kelly alongside me. David is director and player recruitment officer and coach at Danson Sports FC Limited a grassroots youth football club based in Dartford Kent. David very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for joining thank us. Thank you very much. Mm. Thank you ever so much for taking the time to come on to the uh, the programme. It's a real pleasure having you with us to discuss your views on leadership. But before we sort of dive into that, since today's generation of leaders within businesses and organisations, I think it's fair to say is probably going through one of the greatest challenges of our time. It would be remiss of me not to ask just how the COVID-19 situation has affected your operations in particular. Well, it certainly has. I mean, through these sort of like hard times as such that everybody else is going through. It has been very, very hard. I mean, not only we've got ourselves and, you know, our, our coaches and our managers, which are all volunteers, um, we've also got our members, which are the children, as well as adults here that play too. And the, the main kind of thing which I was getting back from speaking to our managers was a lot of their, their players as such were being affected quite a lot in regards to their mental health, where they're stuck indoors, they couldn't really go out. So a lot of our um, our teams were kind of doing like montages of videos where like the kids would be doing kick-ups in their garden and then they'd all put them together and then we'd stick them on our, on our WhatsApp group because we've got a WhatsApp group for our managers to kind of, you know, help along the situation as best as we could. Look, this team's doing this. How about if you guys try this? We all, you know, it was it's very, very, it was very, very hard. It was very difficult at, in the beginning. Mm. It is when it's such an unprecedented challenge to sort of get a grip on things. Absolutely. There is just sort of that initial moment of sort of panic and inertia, which you sort of have to get over, I suppose. Um, when yeah. you know, David, that um, from sort of a business perspective, I suppose, that there's going to be a challenge on the horizon, a significant one of that. How do you tend to mentally steel yourself for such a challenge? Well, that's a bit of a difficult question, actually. Um, I mean, first off, I mean, when it hit us, it was just like, what are we going to do? You know, how are we going to, su- how, how are we going to survive? Um, and, you know, I mean, the Grassroots Football um, Association, um, the Football Foundation, they put out loads of funding pots for us to kind of like apply for. So we we went down the route of, of all the other, pretty much most of the other sort of football clubs and we applied for these grants and they kind of helped us through these, you know, this, these hard times that we've got. I mean, I'm just thankful now that, you know, we are kind of like some back to, back to some sort of normality. Mm, that's really, really positive uh, to hear um, as well. And have any sort of new safety procedures sort of affected the normal way that the children would be expected to train um, or is it sort of reverting to what it was before at this stage? So when the FA and the government announced that we could actually go back to um, some sort of training, 
with the two metre distancing, um, I had to come up with a COVID-19 um, risk assessment. So, and at our facility, we've got a 4G facility, a top, a top of the range one. And normally what we do is we split our 4G into six areas so we can have six teams training at the same time. Still ample enough room for um, players to train in because it's a FIFA size one as well, which means it's a, it's a little bit bigger. Um, sorry, not a little bit bigger. It's a, it, how can I put it? It's not your average sort of like AstroTurf. It's a top of the range FIFA approved one. So we've got like extra runoff and everything else. The pitch is still the same size, but we have obviously got runoffs around it, which the managers can also use that in training as well. But because of the, the social distancing, we had to um, divide the pitch up into four areas, obviously to maintain everybody with the social distancing. Now, with the parents, the parents would always like to come inside the viewing area and stand and watch. Um, we had to implement that nobody is allowed to the viewing area at all. Everybody had to stay around the outside of the area. We, you know, obviously socially distancing from everybody else. Mm. Um, and then when it came to kind of like the changeover as such, so the, we got two gates. So the teams was the teams that were coming on. Let's say, for example, the seven to eight slot, they would walk on one side of the pitch, and then the team that was currently on there, the six or seven, so they would come off. So it's working like a. Uh, a one, we would work like a one-way system to kind of get every, keep everybody away. Hand sanitizer always used for everybody. Um, you know, not mixing people's drink bottles up. Everybody had to make sure that all of their bags and everything else were all separate from each other. It was very kind of difficult to do that, but we're, thankfully, we, all of our managers, they were really, you know, they were really helpful and they they understood what was needed to what was needed to be done in order for us to carry on. Mm, that's really positive. And if we shift focus now to just sort of address the uh, the leadership discussion, just that little bit more broadly, um, leadership yep. in sport is of course incredibly important. But what does that word leader sort of literally mean to you, David? What is the role of a leader in your eyes? The role of a leader in my eyes would be someone who's people look up to, people are going to want to aspire to be. Um, people that are going to come to someone in order for to ask advice. Um, are there any examples yeah. of people out there who are leaders that perhaps you've looked up to throughout your life and your career so far? Uh, yeah, I mean, because I, I used to, before I before I started working down here at Dance Sports Limited, um, we always, I mean, this, this, the club was started in 2005 by uh, my very good friend Steve Rayner. And I came over and then we, we had about, I think we had about eight teams and we built it from eight teams to where we are now, which is like nearly 60 teams. That's including young boys, girls, seniors and uh, veteran footballers. Um, I used to be like a, I was a teacher and there was quite a lot of teachers that I used to look up to in my role as a teacher. I used to want to be like them. It was, so there was quite a few, t- and then from their, their qualities that they had, their leadership qualities, I kind of adopted them myself and I brought them 
my those leadership qualities that I adopted from them, I brought them to my current role now. Mm. So essentially what you managed to do was take sort of little aspects of good leadership strategies from these people that you'd worked with and then use those to mould your own leadership style, essentially. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And it's an important message to take away this because we need to remember that even in leadership roles, we're never lone wolves, are we? There are always different people and different resources that you can learn from as such. And that actually rings true in a time such as this as well, where we're going through times of difficulty and crisis. And sometimes it can feel a little bit of a lonely place having so much responsibility on top of your shoulders, but you are never alone. There are plenty of people in the same boat. There are people within your own yeah. organization as well that you can also turn to. And that's incredibly important from a well-being perspective as well. Oh, totally. I mean, you know, like I said, like my good friend, Steve Rayner, my other good friend, Steve Wicks, who's also, uh, he's the chairman of the club. We, um, pretty much kind of, you know, we, we bounce off of each other. Sometimes obviously, you know, you do, you do get your disagreements in, you know, in your leadership, but, Ultimately, we all, you know, we all agree with each other because it's all for the benefit, not just the club, but for our members, especially our kids, especially the kids, because they love they love coming here. You know, we're even though we are such a big club, we're such a family orientated club. You know, when I'm out and I'm shopping, for example, I might I might kind of like bump into one of the kids, and they're like, "Oh, that's that's Dave from Dance and Sports." And I'm like, oh, I, you kind of you feel like a little bit of a celebrity. It's quite, it's quite funny, mm. you know. But they all, they all look up, they all look up to you, you know. They all look up to you, and, it, and it's like, but we're we're the type of people we don't, oh, especially myself. We don't. Some people, some people, we in in leadership, they can become arrogant with it. They can become extremely arrogant with it, but we're not. I'm not like that. I know Steve and Steve are not like that. We're not. We're not arrogant people. We're we are we're a person you know what I mean we're a, we're a parent we're a parent we're in exactly the same you know shoes as what the guy is standing next to me the only difference is, is we run a football club exactly right and it's it's a message to really take away uh, from that as well in the sense that to be an effective leader in whatever role you may have you don't necessarily have to put yourself on a pedestal as it were those everyday no. leaders um, who go about their business quietly can often be some of the most influential people out there, be they coaches, mentors, teachers, for example. And it's that sort of ethos that you've sort of outlined there, which has led to the success of the club as well, because it's gone on quite some journey, I think it's fair to say, founded in 2005, of course, and within 10 years, it was named a community charter standard club. So it's been on an incredible journey. Oh, yeah, and that, and that, is, that is because of the, you know, literally the, you know, the, the hard work that we've, that we put in a lot of, you know, a lot on the front line and especially a lot behind the scenes. I mean, a lot of people must think that, you know, you lie on your pitches or you take a goal down and that's it. No, it's it's not like that at all. I mean, I could be I could be on holiday and my phone would be ringing or I'd be answering emails because I'm the recruitment officer and people want to people want to come to our club. They want to come to our club. You know, last year, it, I mean, we took on about another about five teams, but because we were literally at maximum capacity, we had people that wanted to come over because of our 
leadership qualities and because of the way that the club is run, they wanted to come. We, we unfortunately, we couldn't, we couldn't house anymore because we were just literally at maximum capacity. Mm, and I suppose, given that you are in charge of uh, player recruitment at the club, um, what sort of qualities are you looking for when you're looking to bring players in? Well, what we've got um, in our club is we've got all different types of levels of players. So we've mm. got from your D League, which is like your very, you know, your kids that, how can I put this without... So you've 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 got your, you've got your kids from the D League. So they would be they just want to they want to play. They just want to have fun. Not no, they're not they're not looking to become the next uh, David Beckham. Mm. Yeah, they just you know they that's what they aspire to. That's what they look to. So they're not necessarily going to be there because their ability isn't up there with someone who is say for example who is in the Kent League. But yet their aspirations can still be the same. So we've got we've got a wide scope of players, a, a real wide scope of players from kids that you know they will just boot the ball. They won't necessarily take a touch, look up and pass, for example. To some, to someone who will think that they, someone who want to mimic what Neymar does, and they'll take a touch, they'll look up, and then they want to take on about five players. To someone who will take a touch, look up, and they'll see if they can pass and move off to the next person. We've, all, we've got a wide range, a very, very wide range of of abilities at our club. And I think that's probably also as well what makes us so successful is because, you know, everybody deserves a chance. Everybody's got that chance. And that's why, that's why they look to come to us. Because we will give them that chance. Mm. We will give them that chance. We will find a, we will find a, a, um, a team for them. You know, they've, Quite a lot of the time, I get messages from people, and they, oh, we went to this club, but they said that they couldn't take us because he's not at this level. So I'm like, okay, no problem, we can find you a team. But there was um, one lad um, about two years ago. I was coaching him, and his dad had been to every pretty much most of the local clubs, and um, I just said, yeah, come along, we'll give you a chance, you know see what you like and he was just oh, he was very very appreciative thank you very much thank you very much anyway cut a long story short this this kid now he's had um, he's had trials at um, quite a few other clubs like professional clubs like academies mm. and um, he's you know he, and he does look like he's going to move on with his football career I'm not I'm not saying that's necessarily down to us but we would have got but our club was the ones who gave him the chance that we didn't shut the door in his face I suppose it really rings that message true that everybody, no matter what level you end up at, has to start somewhere, don't they? Exactly. You, you have to start somewhere. Diego Costa didn't start playing football until he was 16. And I think it was also um, Ian Wright, I think. He didn't play for Crystal Palace until he was in his late 20s, did he, if I remember rightly as well? Yeah, exactly. So that's another I mean, great you, example. Yeah, I mean, he used to play for, he used to play for Greenwich Barrett, but he didn't start playing until he was in his late 20s. Jamie Vardy, I think Started playing until he was 22, 24. Mm, and he was, of course, oh, sure. in um, non league for the majority of his career, of course, absolutely right, until his move to uh, Leicester yeah. City, exactly. Yeah, he played for Fleetwood. Yes, of course. Um, he was released from the uh, the academy at Sheffield Wednesday at the age of sixteen, if I remember rightly, and then moved on to local 
um, non-league club Stocksbridge Park before moving on to Halifax, Fleetwood and then on to Leicester. He uh, became the first £1 million non-league player and of course this season has just won the Premier League Golden Boot so it's quite the, uh, the trajectory for him absolutely. Um, exactly. Having reflected on um, sort of what the work of, of dance and sports and also on uh, the past for a moment there I think it only serves as well just before we do wrap things up David that we also talk about the future just beforehand um, with regards right. to the next sort of 12 to 18 months um, we know that we are going to have to adjust to new conditions of working and living as we sort of look to shrug off the shackles of this COVID-19 situation um, but what does dance and sports limited hope to achieve during that period and what is on the horizon for you do you feel? So we're looking to hopefully ho- hoping start up some sort of you know norm go back to some sort of normality in regards to uh, providing the kids with, uh, our members with football. Um, I do know that as of the first of August, everybody can start playing matches, um, but with certain regulations put in place. As a as a club, we've got our COVID-19 risk assessment. All of our managers know about our COVID-19 risk assessment. So everybody's going to be following that. But within the next 18 months, we would like to... I would would like to see the team... Not the team, sorry. I would like to see our club grow. But I'm also... My my mission at the moment is to grow off our, uh, our female section of of grassroots football, which has seen a big, massive explosion within mm. the past couple of years. And, you know, um, when we when we first acquired our place in Darford, uh, I was trying to push for girls' football then because I could see it was going to be a big thing. I could see it was going to be a big thing. And it is... He's going to be a big thing, and he's going to be. And he's going to take off massively. So, my my thing, my personal vision at the moment is to actually grow our girls section and make it as successful as our boys section, and then hopefully open move into a senior level with female football. I think you're very right. The popularity of uh, female football has absolutely exploded um, with the, um, of course, the broadcasting of the uh, the Women's World Cup over the last um, yeah. sort of four or five years. Um, David, um, unfortunately, we are just about out of time on the uh, the programme uh, today, um, which is a real shame because I'm sure we could discuss um, these um, um, sort of aspirations long into the um, afternoon. But considering just how informative it's been having you with us today, I think it would be wonderful to catch up in the next few months and have you back on the show with us at some point just to see how things at the club are getting on. And hopefully on that side of things in particular, we'll start to see some real upward trajectory and there'll be some good news to share. Yeah, that'd be great. I'll look forward to it. That would be wonderful. I've really enjoyed having you joining us uh, today. And most importantly, do continue to take care and stay safe with all still going on in the world as well. You too. Thank you for having me on your show. It's been wonderful. I was speaking everybody today to David Kelly, Director um, and Player Recruitment Officer and Coach at Dance and Sports FC Limited. And just to reiterate that message to everybody out there, do continue to look after yourselves and others during the lifting of restrictions because it does make a real, real difference in saving lives. Uh, Keeping it football now, I'm going to be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 FIFA World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. Um, During his professional career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of 
West Ham United and Stoke City. But he is, of course, most renowned for the fact that he is the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition. That came after his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the Old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago today on 30th of July 1966. I hope you all enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan relished the opportunity to speak with Sir Jeff himself and that is of course coming up next. Uh, we're now joined uh, though by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, had one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and a manager over many, many, many years. He um, He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over the years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the colour of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence 
uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bobby Moore. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, well, I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top; is absolutely vital for a, a for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships. You could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously... Uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time maybe overly strict but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in your organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that 
it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well and more than that whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them and there really must have been moments maybe there weren't but uh, let us know in that 66 competition the prolonged pressure on all of you you know the weight of a nation did it get to you oh not for me personally no i, I think and i don't I, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Um, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that I'll show. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall, they were great, hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, 
that I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot in the ball and waited to just have a, have a glance around, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you in two. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, in most stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um... Uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. I, just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh that If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um. Well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that 
uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they uh, Ron Greenwood. Yeah, the answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, That's a they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back on an earlier earlier question for me, the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I... when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. 
there was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's. You're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.